We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Coming to you with an edition of the Mavs Moneyball Podcast, uh, NBA on hiatus edition. Uh, I've got with me uh, a great guest, one of my uh, one of the coolest people in Mavs media, uh, one of the one of the best dudes in Mavs media. Always enjoy when I get to make it to a game, uh, getting to hang out with him and talk ball and, and what have you. But we've got Bobby Corolla of Mavs.com, uh, basically digital content creator uh, extraordinaire. See him on Mavs Insider, you see him on Mavs.com, you see him on Mavs YouTube channel, basically kind of doing it all uh, for the Mavs uh, content creation teams. Uh, Bobby, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Josh. As longtime internet frenemies, I'm glad that we can finally put our arms down and, and just talk some hoops for a little while. Right. Well, this to, to get Bobby onto this podcast, we had to sign a peace treaty and everything, and it was a very long and audacious or, ordeal. Um, Y'all are still been out of shape about Jay Crowder. I'm just like, dude, just you know, get over it. You know, <laughs> look, that's Kirk. Don't put Kirk's 
insecurities on me. I'm okay. I've I've grown. Okay. I've grown as a man over these last couple of years. Uh, but you can take that up. Don't yeah. Just don't lay that on Kirk's uh, problems on my feet. That's my only request. Okay. I apologize. I apologize. We gotta <laughs> we gotta stop the sniping. We do. We do. We gotta come together, especially during this time. Um, so yeah, it's kind of crazy out there right now. Um, you know, hope everyone's staying safe and everyone's staying healthy. Uh, I know I've got a couple, but you know, a lot of my, like half of my friend group is like working from home. My other half of my friend group, uh, does, you know, they're kind of working gig jobs, which have been really impacting them. So just trying to make sure they're doing okay. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Everyone's being affected by what's going on with coronavirus and COVID-19 stuff. Uh, obviously for this podcast purposes, you know, NBA season's been put on hiatus for the last two weeks and we're not entirely sure if it'll come back this season or they'll do a truncated season or just playoffs. We're not even sure. Uh, but Bobby, like how are just, just want to know, like, how are you doing since the hiatus? You know, what's it been like for you? Uh, your, your content forte is of course like X's and O's and breakdowns and, and analysis and, now that there's no more games to break down, like just what is is what has it been like for you since the shutdown? Yeah, it's very weird times, obviously. I mean, there's probably 150 people, I think, that work at the business office along with me. And, you know, we're kind of all in a holding pattern now. You know, I, I want to commend Scent and, and Mark for basically shutting down the office the day after that Nuggets game. They just said, it's not worth it. Go home. You know, don't be here. So we were on the social distancing thing pretty early, which was good because, I mean, we potentially avoided a even worse scenario. But, I mean, it's all kind of this weird thing of, like, we we all believe the season will be back, but it's tough to work as if it will because we just don't know when it will happen. And when it happens, will there be home games or will they be playing in the facility? So, like, from a ticket-selling standpoint, you don't really know what to do. And from a marketing standpoint, obviously, I mean, you know, we can't feature upcoming matchups or anything like that because we don't know who will play next. Uh, yeah. So it's been kind of this experimental uh, phase, but, you know, our department, the digital department, um, especially led by, by Mike and Lizelle um, and Becca, and there's a lot of people obviously, but they, you know, we've, we've been putting out a bunch of stuff like, you know, jerseys celebrating like this day in maps history kind of stuff. And, uh, Fox is re-airing old Mavs games, so we're getting players to live-tweet the game. So I think tonight uh, Seth is going to be live-tweeting the Mexico City game whenever he scored 30 off the bench, which should, that should be pretty cool. But, you know, we're just kind of trying new stuff and, you know, maybe pitching ideas that we've always had that we've never had the time to work on, and now we do all of a sudden. And so, you know, we're just trying to make it make it by. But, um, I mean, this is obviously – a much more favorable position compared to people out there who are not as lucky as we are to still have their jobs even. I mean, this is, this is a really sad time. So us kind of twiddling our thumbs is, you know, I, I can't be too down in the dumps about that because I mean, it, it could definitely be worse. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm feeling here. Obviously uh, Mavs Moneyball is not the primary breadwinner for, for myself. I have a day job that uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to work from home and, and like I said earlier, some of my friends, they, you know, I've got friends that are bartenders. I've got a friend that's a pedicabber. I've got a friend that does a lot of freelance um, videography and lighting who works in Austin and like, like South by Southwest is like a huge part of his yearly income. And that got shut down. And like, yeah, it's just crazy. Anytime I'm feeling like, oh man, I'm working from home or I'm getting like stir crazy. I'm like, it can be 
so so much worse so it's good to try to keep things in the perspective a little bit um yeah but like for yourself for your for y'all's team are you guys uh, obviously you guys are working from home you're not in the office like you said how has that has that transition been okay for you guys i mean you guys work with you know a lot of you know video files and image files so i know maybe we're getting you too inside baseball about like office talk but like are you guys doing okay with the transition working from home and and being able to be able to do the stuff that you guys want to do? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, a lot of the stuff that I use is in this video clip database, essentially, that's online that you can access from anywhere. And so uh, I'm working on a couple videos right now, kind of just like breakdown videos. Uh, and so I'm able to pull all that stuff. But I mean, yeah, we have basically 20 years of uh, video archives that we can pretty much only access from the office. And so it's pretty tough to you know, do anything too fancy, but I mean, I, I don't think fans necessarily want like the coolest, most badass stuff right now. They just want stuff to kind of, uh, not to like trivialize it, but just to break up the monotony of, you know, daily life right now and stuff, you know, uh, just stuff to keep them entertained. So, you know, this day in history kind of thing and re-airing old games, I mean, all, all that sort of stuff can be done from anywhere. And so, even though like some things are tougher to do at the end of the day, I mean, it, it doesn't change that much and we're able to overcome any of those obstacles. I mean, the, the people that I work with are super duper talented. So, um, you know, they can, we can, we can, we can make it work from anywhere. Yeah. You, you mentioned like, you know, entertainment and stuff like that when, when people kind of need something to, need something to, to cheer them up or make them happy i've definitely gone into the youtube machine and, and cranked up some of the old games and you you mentioned the mexico city game that's actually going to be broadcast tonight we're recording this on a thursday march 26th so when this goes up it'll, it'll have already happened but you know obviously fox is going to keep replaying some of the little older games like i was actually watching the christophs luca highlights from that game because i was against detroit right so uh yeah that yeah that was a great game that gave us that like fun wade lebron luca Kristaps kind of alley-oop uh image uh so i i've definitely dipped back into highlights and stuff just to pass time and just to clear my head and not think about some of the stuff that that's going on so that's always been helpful but it's good to know that you guys are like one being taken care of two the that leadership is has got a good grasp on things and three that you know you guys are still able to do what you want to do um, speaking of leadership, kind of being able to take care of things, I think pivoting into this is something I've been noticing, obviously, since the, the lockdown kind of started with the NBA is, you know, the Mavs organization has probably been the forefront for NBA teams or just professional sports teams uh, taking care of their workers and, t- and trying to do their best to take care of the community that they're in. I mean, you know, I can be cynical and people can be cynical all day. And I could, I'll admit I'm sometimes a, you know, a cynical person, but like, you know, Mark Cuban was moments after the Nuggets game, pretty much committing to helping pay arena workers while this is going on. And it feels like, you know, I'm on the Mavs media mailing list. I feel like every other day I'm getting an email from, from the Mavs basically announcing a new initiative that's going to help the community, whether it's Mark Cuban, whether it's the team as broader team whether it's players you know partnering with the team the team partnering with other companies but it's like every other day it's like here's what the dallas mavericks are helping uh or trying to do to help you know fight what is a really tough situation right now 
And it's, it's so commendable. They're setting the standard really like, you know, what Mark Cuban's doing, you know, you look at what some of the other NBA teams are doing and, you know, not to get into a, a contest about it, but it's definitely like they're setting the standard and other teams that don't meet that standard have been getting, you know, called out on it and asked, why aren't you guys doing what, you know, Mark Cuban and the Mavericks are doing? So it's, it's very commendable, especially like the quickness. That's the thing that always gets me is like, it was immediate. Like there was no time for him to think about it. Like it just kind of happened right away. And, you know, just moments after that Nuggets game already pledging to help and and all that kind of stuff. So that's been like a, a bright spot a little bit for the last couple of weeks when there's been so many, you know, bad news headlines going on out there. So you know, obviously being with the team, you probably, I don't know how much more you can speak to, to what I'm talking about, but it's got to be nice to have your, you know, you work for the Mavs and, and you obviously love it and you love covering and following this team, but it must be nice to have some of that be almost validated a little bit, knowing that the people in charge are at least doing what they can to help as many people as possible. Dude, absolutely. So that the day that the hiatus basically began, like in the middle of the third quarter against the Nuggets, by then the news about Gobert had already come out and how the whole jazz team is getting tested and everything. And so I was at the game and, you know, typically whenever big league wide announcements happen, uh, we know at least like five minutes beforehand so that we can sort of like figure out what we're going to do. But the league putting the season on pause came down in real time. And so, you know, not only are we trying to grapple with like, yeah, there are no games for a long time, but also a player has coronavirus and now, you know, I'm sitting in the press box as the game is happening, looking back at the Mavs schedule and the jazz schedule and seeing if there have been any, you know, connections. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, because the day before that, now I'm not going to pretend like I hang out with the players or like (laughs) give them hugs or anything all the time, but like we share an airplane, we share buses. So the day before that we were in San Antonio and, you know, obviously taking a bus to the game, taking buses to the airport, being on the airplane together, uh, using the same handrail over and over again. I mean, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, like there's a, there's a really good chance that this could have transferred to me if any of these guys have it. And so, you know, just on a personal level, it was a pretty stressful time. Um, but as an employee of the Mavs, it was very, very relieving to also hear in real time that Cuban is going to, you know, not only take care of us, but also take care of arena employees, um, take care of people that work in our fan shop that are hourly, that need the money way more than he does or I does or any of us does. Uh, And then, you know, the next day we went into the office and had kind of a full staff meeting and sent addressed us and kind of, you know, gave everybody the breakdown of what we were going to do. And it was just, it was very evident that, you know, Mark and Sent were basically willing to do anything it took to take care of everybody who works for them. And, you know, I, I don't want to throw stones at other teams or anything, but I mean, you've seen tweets and reports that have come <laughs> out about people having to take pay cuts or people yep. getting laid off or people getting furloughed. And like, that's just a nightmare situation. And that's not unique to the NBA, obviously. But I mean, unlike many other industries, the NBA is super super competitive it's very tough to get a job in the league and so if you lose it for whatever reason then that's I mean that might be it you know so it's a very stressful time you know not only worrying about your own health but also your your livelihood and your your income and your job status and everything so um, you know to just hear from Mark and sent directly from their mouths like within 12 hours of this whole thing happening that 
it's all going to be okay. That, that just provided like an astonishing level of relief to me. And then also, um, you know, the players have really stepped up too, and Rick Carlisle as well. Uh, that's been an area that the Mavs have always really kind of championed is community outreach and players investing time and money and resources into making an impact. I mean, that's been happening since way before I got hired. But, you know, that in combination with supporting employees and funding all these test sites and, and feeding people and, I mean, everything, just all that happening, kind of the culmination of all of that support has really kind of been an uplift to not only us, but I'm, I'm sure just Mavs fans in general um, like just rooting for, supporting for, working for a team that's willing to spend a lot of money and a lot of resources to helping the greater community. I mean, it's it's a very, very cool time. And I mean, let's not pretend like you don't have right to be cynical about the organization. I mean, you know, we're, we're coming out of a very, very tough time, obviously, uh, with uh, what happened a couple of years ago. And so, now that cloud is hanging over the organization and the team, and I'm sure Mark individually for sure, and you know also all the employees are even being tangentially connected to it. So uh, to move from that period into this period where you know it's it's all about them, it's all about us, about everyone, you know. Um, I don't know. It's just it's really really cool, and I'm I'm very honored to play a super small part in it. Yeah, it's just nice, like. There's just so many bad, not trying to say like the new, all news is always bad or get into like anything weird like that. Like there's a lot of bad stuff happening and, and people need to know about it, but it's just nice to have just pockets of relief and seeing like those emails I get in my inbox of what the Mavs are doing this time, whether it is, you know, Cuban supporting his own workers or arena workers, or I think he did the thing where it was like, you guys got if you guys like ate at local restaurants or cafes or whatever, he was like compensating for that. If you guys would like eat within Dallas, like eat at local mom and pop shops in Dallas, I think I saw he, he was doing yeah, something. About yeah. So basically we get, it's basically 25 bucks a day. And if we go to a locally owned place, so not, you know, a chain, like you can't go to Chili's and, and claim it or anything. <laughs> but if you go to a place that's just owned by, you know, local, local folks, um, the Mavs will pick up our tab, which is awesome. I mean, not only is it really convenient for me, but like <laughs> I'm doing okay with money right now because I still have a job. So I'm very lucky, but the people who run slow bone barbecue that, you know, are, are suffering basically a 40, 45% drop in business because of something that's out of their control. And they're not the only ones that are struggling. I mean, it's really great that the Mavs are stepping up to help support them because now I want to go and now I'm not doing it every day, but I want to go out every day and give money to my favorite restaurants because I'm afraid, you know, my single order of ribs or of tacos or something is not going to save their business. But, you know, if, if we all think that way, it's just like voting, right? Like if, if you don't vote, it doesn't really matter, but if everybody doesn't vote, then it definitely matters. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very small way of giving back, but it means a lot to me, uh, you know, to work for the guy who's who's willing to do that for us. Yeah, for sure. And are you, are you being, is that almost dangerous in a way? Are you like, I can't like, I can't eat all this like barbecue and talk like, it's like, I got to eat in a little <laughs> bit or I'm going to gain 800 pounds. Yeah. I mean, the thing is though, like I'm 
terrible when it comes to cooking. So I've just been eating a bunch uh, of microwavable crap anyway. So like, that's what it's all the same, honestly. <laughs> it's all the same. Yeah. Well, it's it's good stuff. Uh, I just wanted to talk about that right off the bat. Obviously, that's kind of what's going on. So it's good to know that you guys are doing okay. Uh, it's, good, it's great to know that the Mavericks are doing basically everything they can in their power to try to make this a little bit, you know, make the best of a crappy time and a crappy situation. So that's just great to know. And like you said, it's been going on for a while, especially with the players. Uh, I think one of the things like me, Kirk, Rebecca and Doyle, we talk about like almost every day is like, we wish that we could like have someone go to all those charity events. Cause they're normally happening, you know, during, during work hours, during, you know, weekday and, and all four of us, um, you know, Kirk and Rebecca don't even live in DFW area anymore. And me and Doyle both have day jobs. So it's tough for either one of us to get to like some of these charity events, but it's like one of the areas that we always talk about because it's one of the areas you got like the Mavs team has always been really great about and the players seem to do a really good job embracing. And so this is just kind of the culmination of that, I feel like. So yeah, that's just great to know. And I think with that, we will take our first break. And when we come back, we will talk maybe a little more ball and hopefully not the end of the season, but we'll just kind of talk on the season because it's the first time Bobby's been on the podcast. So we'll we'll be back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Okay, we're back. The Mavs Moneyball podcast uh, with the NBA hiatus going on. Uh, I'm working from home, taking some time. Uh, Why don't we hop on a podcast uh, and just talk a little ball a little bit? I'm here with Bobby Corrala, Mavs.com. You see him Fox Sports Southwest on Mavs Insider. You see him on arena videos. You see him everywhere associated with Mavs content. You've, You've seen Bobby's work. So we talked in the first half of the pod about kind of the current situation, what the Mavs are doing uh, to help with the the coronavirus and COVID-19. Now let's talk a little ball because this is the first time me and Bobby have been on a podcast to talk basketball. Um, And Is it ever? Like the first time ever? I think so. I mean, I don't think we've been on a podcast together. If we have, it was like a long time ago that I've deleted too many brain cells since then. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Well... I know. So, I know. For, so for this landmark moment, um, it's it's kind of sad that we might not be talking about any more. I don't know how when we're going to be talking about like actual basketball games. So so that part of it, we can't really control or, or talk about like the playoff scenarios or shortened shortened season or are they going to like start the next season in December? Like that stuff we can't really control. But what we can talk about is just what the Mavs were doing this season, and it was a really really special season. Um, even myself, like I was trying to keep some measured expectations because there was just so much unknown, I think, about the team in terms of like, what are they going to get out of Kristaps after a 20 month layoff? And, you know, pretty much we knew what Luca was going to do, but, you know, I was curious to see what, well, we, we kind of knew what Luca was going to do. I don't think, I don't know how many people knew he was going to do what he's been doing this season to this extent, but uh, it's just been a wonderful season. And it's a, it's a shame that, you know, this was going to be their return to the playoffs for the first time since 2016. 
So, you know, we might not be able to see that for a while, but it, it will happen eventually. But like the thing with me that I've really, before the games, you know, went on hold, the, the thing that's really been like exciting and has like got me jazzed up, not just as like the writer part of me, but like just the, the fan part of me has been watching the evolution of Kristaps and Luca playing together after the back and forth nature with their, both of their injuries throughout the season kind of derailed that a little bit, but like the Kristaps Porzingis we saw in February with Luca coming back and him still keeping it up for the most part. Like I'm trying to think about like Mavericks basketball and, and memory. And like, they're real like with Kristaps playing how he did in February and Luca playing how he's been playing all season. Like you probably have to go back to, to the Dirk Nash Finley years when the Mavericks had, you know, two, you know, all-star guys playing at all-star levels, like in the peaks, in the peak of their career at the same time. Like it just hasn't happened a lot with, with the franchise and it's almost like a new feeling. And it's like, I don't even, it's like so new that I have to get used to it. But like, what, what have you been kind of seeing there? Like, am I onto something or, or am I kind of blowing it out of proportion? But it just feels like something we haven't seen despite the fact that the Mavericks have been one of the best NBA franchises since like, you know, 2000. Yeah, I mean, I, I, whenever you first started going down that road, I thought back to Dirk and Nash because their pick and pop in the early 2000s right. was just unguardable, especially with the way that teams were playing back then. I mean, it was you could get a, oh, an open 18-footer every time you wanted. But I would say I, I don't know how many people remember this. I mean, it's more recent than Dirk and Nash, but uh, the Dirk and Jet two-man game in the fourth quarter before, I mean, before they got kid, but even once they did get kid, uh, and into the finals years, I mean, they were they were pretty good too. Jed had that little baseline pull up on the right side of the floor, and you know that was kind of the not the blueprint because Luca and Jed are such different players, and KP and Dirk obviously are too. But they really kind of set the foundation for I think what this ideally would become, or what I thought it would become. I guess heading into the season, I thought that what was going to happen is it's going to be a lot of Luca KP two man game you know, empty side of the floor, like just them two, two on two. And if the defense switches, then it's an automatic dump down to KP in the post and KP scores over the guy or Luca takes the big man out to the perimeter and, you know, messes with him. But what I didn't realize is that the Mavs were going to go like 2040 on us and say, no, KP's not posting up at all. I mean, we're, we're spotting him <laughs> up and shooting threes. And that was, I think what I dreamed would happen. Like, before the season, there was a, a podcast. That, I might have said it with Kirk, but I definitely said it on uh, numbers on the boards of skin that there's a chance KP averages like eight or nine three-point attempts per game. And in the first couple months of the year, that was down like three or four attempts per game. He was not shooting many threes. He was still posting up a little bit. But for the most part, you know, what Luca and Powell were doing was so good that it was like, why would we ever go away from that to try and get KP going? Like Dwight sets a screen for Luca. We score two points every time. And so, you know, Powell going out kind of forced them back into the, the Luka KP two-man game. And KP's numbers obviously exploded. But what really happened, uh, you know, from a, from a shot diet standpoint was suddenly he was going from three or four threes a game to seven or eight a game. And that alone was destructive because not only was he making them, but also it meant that he was setting a screen and then popping as opposed to rolling or slowing down the offense to try and get in the post or anything. And it just kept driving lanes open for Luca, especially once KP moved to the five full time, there's never a rim protector around. And so that was, 
a two-man game in a different way that we never saw from Dirk and Jed or Dirk and Nash before them. Uh, but it really kind of solved offense, essentially, because Luca we know, can beat anybody one-on-one. And whenever you play full five out like that, if Luca beats his man, someone's going to get an open shot. And, you know, it's no surprise Tim Hardaway, Seth Curry are having such good seasons because they're just open all the time. And the average guy who's shooting a shot after a Luca pass has five and a half feet of space between them and the closest defender. I mean, it's like, it's insane. You're just open all the time when you play with them. And so you know, that was, I think, a more important development than simply KP's individual numbers. Like the way that he was being used, um, going to five out, just it just unlocked everything and opened everything up for them. Uh, obviously, the crunch time stuff is you know a whole other discussion that maybe we'll talk about here in a couple minutes, or maybe we won't. But you know, just from a a play to play, possession to possession standpoint, the chemistry that Luca and KP have or don't have is going to determine how good you'll be. And clearly, we saw you know in games that they've played this season, especially uh, after like the first two weeks of the year, whenever everyone was trying to figure everything out. They were like a 55-60 win team uh, whenever those two guys played together. I mean, they just never lost. So, you know, I mean, clearly I, they, you know, they, they found something. I don't know if anybody can put their finger on exactly what it is, but I think you're right. I mean, whenever you have two players who are just that good, you're going to just win a ton of games. I mean, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter if guys are making their shots or not because you have two players who are so good that you're just going to win all the time. And, I mean, it's – I didn't think that we'd be here already, but we are. Uh, again, they still have a long way to go if they want to win a championship, even if they want to win a playoff series. But, to me, all along this season was about can these two guys learn to play with each other on the fly? If they can, they're going to be great next season. And if they can't, then this season might suck a little bit. Um, they came out of the gate slow, but now they're firing on all cylinders. And so – Whenever they come back, whenever that is, I'll have pretty high expectations for what they'll do next season and in the seasons to come. Yeah, and there's so many kind of jumping off points I want to go that you were kind of touching on. Yeah, sorry, that that really kind of no, went. No, that's great, man. <laughs> no, that's what that's what. It's been a while since I've talked about basketball. I know, like you got you got to like expunge it out of your system. It's been building up. Um, yeah. But I think the an interesting part about it was you know they weren't on the same page, you know, right away. And obviously that's understandable because of the the layoff from KP. To be honest, once I kind of got into the season after the first couple of weeks, I was kind of like, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's, it won't be a failure at all or anything crazy if KP doesn't necessarily round into the form that we all picture, imagine in our heads, because the dude had a, a bad knee, sur- you know, bad knee injury, knee surgery, didn't play NBA basketball for about like 20 months, like a huge layoff, like, I always kind of thought in my head, I was like, you know what? It makes sense to give him a full season to try to work out the kinks. You know, he's he's returning. It's like a bunch of factors all at once. He's returning from an injury, the 20-month layoff. That's bad enough on its own. And then he's coming into a new team, so that's different that he has to work out. And not only is he on a new team, but it's like a different system, completely different system that he was doing before. And then a completely different role than what he was doing before. So, like, he was working with all these different things and, like, trying to imagine, like, the mental and physical stress that that must uh, impact on your body, on your mind, just trying to get through, get through it and, and compete at the highest level. 
uh of the sport in the world like that's just a crazy amount of pressure and i was total like eventually i was like okay this is fine just as long as he can get through the year and he's healthy like that's kind of the goal and then see what happens and then next season maybe that will be the year where it clicks where he has a full off season and without you know having to think about rehab as much and then it and it kind of just like in february just kind of snapped into place with you know him moving to moving to the five I think a big part of it, at least watching for me from my end, was he got before, like you said, you know, the Pal and Luca pick and roll was just so potent. Like it was just one of the the best point producers in the league. And you really can't fault them for for going to that as much as they did and using KP to to spread the floor even more. But I, I it feels like in February, you know, with him playing the five full time, it kind of forced him back into not necessarily like the New York role, but just in sense of he was just a little higher up the totem pole in terms of the offense. Like he was just getting more touches, not necessarily just shots, but he was just touching the ball more throughout an offensive possession, you know, getting an elbow touch for a dribble handoff, you know, running more direct pick and rolls with Luca, you know, getting a touch at the top of the key to swing the ball, you know, just that kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily always result in him getting a shot, but just kind of being in the rhythm of the game more, because I think in the first couple months, it kind of felt like he was a little bit of a bystander, which is not like a bad thing, but it just was so different for him. Cause in New York, he basically did whatever he wanted for the most part. Like he got, he got the ball when he wanted, you know, when, especially after, you know, they moved on from Carmelo Anthony, you know, he got all the shots, he got the shots wherever he wanted them for the most part. And that team didn't have as much of a structure obviously as the Mavs do. So it was just a lot to kind of fit in and, and learn. And so of course there's going to be kind of, ups and downs but it feels like they kind of got into that groove when he was getting all those extra threes running the pick and pop with Luca uh, at the five but he also seemed to be more effective uh, inside the three-point line uh, starting when he played at the five too because he just seemed a little bit more confident in himself like instead of kind of those awkward fadeaway post-ups he was kind of getting the ball in the post pivoting doing a doing a hard jab step and then shooting a, a comfortable jumper from the free throw line and I know Dirk and KP are different players, obviously, but it was really giving me a lot of Dirk vibes, especially, you know, a couple of those free throw line jumpers he was making. It seemed like he was making like two or three of them a game from when he switched to the five. So like that part of it is what really gets me excited because it feels like sustainable. Like it's obviously not just a, hey, he's hitting shots now. Like that's part of it, but it's like just the way that he is involved in the offense now. He just, it feels like he can gain more confidence because he's just touching the ball more. And it's like, Obviously, I have not played ball at a very high level, but just like in high school, I'm just thinking about me. I was a big in high school. And when I just touched the ball more, wasn't necessarily posting up or getting shots. I felt better when I was in a scoring position. I feel like that's like a human thing, um, just universally. So I can imagine just him being more involved has helped with his confidence and and get his rhythm back. Um, and that's been really nice to see. And then another thing, I know I'm now I'm kind of ram- I'm rambling a little bit, but even when KP wasn't necessarily producing offensively the way he wanted to early on, and when it wasn't necessarily clicking maybe the way a lot of us and Mavs fans wanted to see, he was still giving it on the other end, uh, the defensive end. Like he's been an elite rim protector basically from the start of the season till you know, you know, till the hiatus started. So that's another aspect of it where that's really impressed me is just he never let his offensive struggles get in the way of his defense for the most part. So like, yeah, like I'm, I'm with you. I feel like the sky's, you know, the sky's the limit. And I feel like they've kind of unlocked something in the last month or so. And if they can just kind of keep this up, uh, I, I, it, it just feels really sustainable for me. 
Yeah, yeah, and and talking about what is different now than what than what we saw in like October, November, it all feels kind of like hindsight is twenty twenty. Like you know, yeah. obviously whatever we say is going to sound right, but I really think too. I mean, I just kind of underestimated, and I think a lot of us probably underestimated just how much of a culture shock it is to go to a new place. I mean, you you mm-hmm. you hit it whenever you said you know new team, new system, new everything, but. I mean, just being dropped into a new offensive system instead of playing, you're thinking like all the time. And, you know, the triangle is a very, it's a read and react kind of offense. You you do a lot of scripted stuff depending on how the defense plays. So you, you can kind of run it on autopilot because he was there for three or four years. Then you come to Dallas where there are hardly any plays and the, the few plays that you do run have like 35 different variations. I mean, it's a lot of read and react stuff too. And so you're, you're operating out of new spots and you're, you're beginning the play instead of on the block, you're starting at the top of the key. I mean, so you're, you're seeing the game in a totally different way and that involves a lot of thinking. And if you're thinking, then you're not really playing, right. You're just thinking. And so I think that has a lot to do with it too. Uh, it took him like a month to kind of get used to that alone. And then of course, once Luka goes down, then he's just getting the ball all the time. And you have to think a lot less whenever you just have the ball, <laughs> you know, you can just shoot it whenever you want, you know? So uh, that, that helped him a little bit too, but yeah, just, just coming to a new place and getting acclimated with the system and then also learning what Luca likes to do, where does he like the ball? And if you're KP knowing, Hey, if I give the ball up here, I'll still get it back. I don't have to shoot every time I touch it. I can, uh, you know, I, I trust if I swing it over to Seth, I trust he'll hit me back if I'm open, you know, that, that sort of, um, developing chemistry or rhythm synergy whatever you want to call it can lead to better performance because you're just more confident you're not thinking as much you're just playing the game and even for an offense as seemingly simple as the Mavs where it's maximum space it's just high pick and roll I mean it's a very simple offense but if it's new to you then it's you know you're gonna be thinking a lot so I think you just got used to that and maybe that has something to do with it maybe it doesn't maybe I'm just a huge idiot I have no idea but I think that that (laughs) played at least a, a small role too yeah and when you talk about you know giving up and giving it back and just the, the trust that the team has in each other uh you know pretty much you know since february started are you surprised at least i am a little bit in Kristoff's passing like he's made some passes this year that i don't think have ever shown up in any of his game tape ever in his life like i've been blown away by some of the reads and passes he's been making in like the last 15 games or 20 games the Mavs played? Like, wh- what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's he's made some really nice passes, guys cutting. Uh, he's made a couple of really nice ones to like DeLon, of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, he's hit guys, you know, catching on the roll, swinging it to the corner, um, you know, even just reversing the floor. Like, he just – he has a much higher basketball IQ than what would come across if you just watched what he did in New York because that was such a – a weird system. I mean, you you just can't really judge a lot of the tape or anything from the Knicks because it was a totally different sport that they were playing essentially. But he comes here and, you know, he knows where to send the ball. He knows where to put the ball. He knows who to give it to. Um, in addition to just being skilled enough to make the passes, but also what's really stood out to me is kind of his, the timing of his movements. You know, he has really good instincts with attacking the offensive board um, you know, he, he, he cuts to the rim at really good times. He knows when to slip screens versus when to set like a hard pick, you know, uh, he just really knows the game. He's a really just, he just really 
I don't know, he's just such a good player. Like, he, <laughs> he's very talented, of course, but mm-hmm. he just does the right thing a lot. And that's impressive. You know, he's, whatever, 23 or 24 now, but he's only played like 150 NBA games. I mean, Luka has almost played as many games as KP has. So uh, that alone, I mean, he's still a young player, second, third year in the league, you know, and just in terms of games played, and he missed an entire season and all that stuff. And it's his first year in a really kind of NBA style offense and he's been awesome. So just having the IQ, knowing what to do, knowing where to be. I mean, that's the reason Dorian Finney-Smith is a starter. Sure. He's a good three point shooter, but he just knows what to do all the time. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And I can say the same thing about KP. He just does not make many mistakes. Sometimes he takes some iffy shots, especially earlier in the year. I feel like he, he forced a lot of it, but that was probably by design. Go out there and just get your feet wet. Um, but he doesn't make a lot of bad plays, and that's what you want to see from a guy who's going to touch the ball 50, 60 times a game and take 15 or 20 shots. You know, what are you costing your team by touching the ball or by being that involved in the offense? And the answer is with KP, it's nothing. It only helps the Mavs because he will always take the shot if it's there. He'll always make the right pass. He's always going to set good screens. I mean, he's just a, he's just a really good, solid player. And that has been very surprising to me because all you saw in New York was, you know, crazy stuff that he'd do, these insane dunks or these big pull-up threes. But a lot of it was just like slogging down, you know, real grinded out post-up stuff that never stood a chance of translating here. Um, but, I mean, that – the just the mental part of the game has seamlessly and that's it's kind of discovered, a, a, introduced us to a totally new player that we didn't even know existed. Yeah, definitely. And before we go, uh, I wanted to ask you something because I've been rattling this around in our Mavs Moneyball Slack. And I've been trying to think about, I was trying to think about how to write this. uh, And then the season kind of went on hiatus. So I wasn't sure. And you're very good with numbers and you are good with kind of separating the numbers and also like what's going on on the court and kind of tying those two together. So I want to ask you with Luca and his three-point shot, And for all season and for most of the last season, you know, I've always been a big proponent of just kind of letting him have those step backs and everything. I'm definitely not like old man yelling at the cloud that he's like, uh, like you can't be be taking all these step backs in this newfangled NBA or whatever. Like when I played the NBA, I walked walked on the court both uh, both ways in the snow, like all that kind of crazy stuff. But like at a certain point, like I think the season as of right now, he's shooting like 31.8% from three. So almost 32%. But if you look at the numbers, like uh, of the, like the top, like of all the guys that have shot at least 400 threes this year, he's 24th. There's been 25 of them that have shot 400 threes this season. And I've just been wondering like, at what point, yeah, at what point three, three is greater than two. And the Mavs have the best offense in the league, and Luca's having an MVP type season, and it's just something that like I don't know how to frame because obviously, like you said, like it's work, like the Mavs offense is working; it's not necessarily killing them. But is there something like is there? It just is it just another level to unlock? Like at what point? Because obviously the the threes open up his rim game tremendously. Like you watch defenders guard him when he's like loading up for a step back and, and kind of toying with like a big on the perimeter. And you can almost like see it like the guys do not want to end up on a highlight reel and they will sell out like crazy to try to stop that three. And then Luca will do kind of hesitation dribble or just kind of 
go right into the into the lane and he's been so great in the paint like just unbelievable in the paint um so like i get it like he needs that three to kind of unlock the rest of his game but at a certain point does he need to bump that percentage up uh and just be a little bit more efficient with his threes and do you think it's do you think it's to get there it's better shot quality like or do you think it's just kind of a matter of him it's his second year in the league and he'll just get there eventually like i'm just wondering am i am i off base there or is there something to that or is it just something we got to remember that luca is still like young and not like a 10-year veteran some of it is age you know some of it i think is that shot is just really freaking cool whenever it goes in <laughs> and so it's it's fun you know and yeah. and luca really is like I think the his only enemy is boredom. Like <laughs> when he gets bored, he just tries something wacky. Like that's just how he is. And so I think you kind of have to roll with the punches there. There's a, a lot of Manu Ginobili in his game in that way. Like sometimes mm-hmm. if things would get too stiff, Manu would just like throw a behind the back pass in, you know, traffic. And it's like Pop is like, what are you doing? But then you're also like, oh yeah, he made 35 great plays right before that. So you mm-hmm. kind of have to give him a little bit of leash there. But I mean, you're right. He's taken nine threes a game, which is a lot. And if you're going to take nine of anything, then you'd like to shoot better than second worst. And I, I was serious. I don't know who has a lower three-point percentage than him. I thought I would have thought he'd been last. but It was uh, Spencer um, Dinwiddie at the, of the Nets. Oh, Spencer Dinwiddie. He has shot at least 400 threes this season. <laughs> he's right at 400. That's, yeah, that's, that's more than I thought. But also, he shoots at worse than I thought. That's surprising. Um, yeah. But yeah, with, with Luca, I mean, you're taking that many. I think it's important to understand, too, and to remember, I mean, just think about your average Mavs game. He takes nine of them. He takes usually about two per quarter, and a lot of them come late in the clock. I mean, if you think about the Mavs sequence of offense, it's Luca bring the ball up the floor, um, you know, take it to a big man, run over, take the handoff, go into a screen roll. If it's not there, then Luca dribbles it out, and all of a sudden there's like nine seconds left on the shot clock. And he just doesn't have, especially in the second half of games, he doesn't quite have the first step yet. His first step has improved uh, over last season, but he doesn't have the explosive first step yet to beat any big man in the league in, you know, one dribble um, inside the last five seconds of the shot clock. And so until he gets there or until he gets like a really reliable pull-up, like 18, 20-footer, his only weapon really is going to be either dropping a nuke on his teammates, giving them a pass with one second left and hope that they make the shot or take the step back himself. And so I think, you know, I, I see a lot of the complaints about Lucas shooting, obviously. And, you know, I, I think what we're really stressing about is one or two ill-advised shots per game. Like he takes some whenever they're down one, he'll take a step back or maybe they're up four with five minutes left and he takes – a step back with like 13 on the clock and you're like what are you doing that same Manu thing but he only does that once or twice a game I mean he he almost plays a perfect game every single time and I fully expect and I fully want him to become a better shooter I mean that's obviously that's the really the only hole in his offensive game is that he's not a 34 35 percent three-point shooter and really the difference between 32 and 34, 35 is like one make every three or four games. I mean, it's it's not that big of a difference, but on paper it looks nice. And then also, too, I mean, if you're 35 
and not 32, well, then teams are going to have to sit on it just a little bit more. And if they take an extra half step toward you, then all of a sudden you don't have to have that big, that explosive of a first step because they're six inches closer to you than they normally would be, and you can get by them. And so it, it kind of adds that new element to his game and helps sort of mitigate his other weaknesses. Uh, can I make a comparison to Pokemon real quick? Yes, please do. Please do. Okay. So uh, if you play all my competitive Pokemon players out there, know that Mew is one of the best, not only because he's a legendary, he's got great stats and everything, but he's so versatile. He can do everything. Like there's a lot of Pokemon, there's a lot of video game characters, whatever. You can make the comparison to Smash or to any game, any shooter game. Every, every character has his own limitations, right? Like there are some guys like Dwight Powell, for example, is a lob target. That is just, that's what he is. But if you have the ability to do a little bit of everything, then you've already kind of beat your opponent. You can bring Mew to a game where he can use any move. He can use literally any move in the game. He's the only Pokemon that can do that. So you have no idea if you're the opponent what to expect from this thing whenever he comes on the floor. So if if Luka just becomes a driving machine, if he becomes Giannis, well, he's not as strong or as menacing as Giannis is. He's not as tall either, so it's tougher for him to score around there than Giannis, who is just a seven-footer who can just run and dunk if you ask James Harden. But there's an art to what Giannis does that Luka just cannot replicate. So Luka can't drive every time. Otherwise, he becomes much easier to stop. I mean, he, he has to take those threes. He has to take some of them. I think one or two of them per game is, you know, maybe maybe he takes one or two bad ones per game. I, I will not argue with you on that at all. But, you know, the other six or seven that he takes that make you scratch your head, especially if he's missed his first three or four, sometimes there's just no other better shot to take. And truthfully speaking, I mean, if, if you're in a hopeless situation, taking a three is better than driving the lane because you're probably going to miss or turn it over if you drive into traffic uh, late in the shot clock because the defense is sitting on it. And then it's a fast break the other way, and it's like a dunk almost every time. I mean, missing a shot at the rim is brutal for your defense. And so, you know, it's kind of like almost a defensive play, taking those step back. So he, he takes a lot of shots that are bad shots, but he only takes a couple bad shots, if you know what I mean. Um, I know that that did not make any sense at all, but like, no, no, I know what you many mean. Of his step, yeah. I mean, many of his step backs are like unfavorable shots. Like many of the possessions that the Mavs run that end in a Lucas step back three are, you know, didn't go according to plan. Like, I, I don't think his step back is ever like the desired outcome of a play. Um, but it's not a shot that he can simply just get rid of because then it makes him a little easier to guard. I guess that's kind of like the, the shortest version of it, but I also just really wanted to talk about Pokemon. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll always give you that opportunity. Um, <laughs> I haven't, I think the the last Pokemon, I haven't played Pokemon since the, since whew, the red and blue. So I've been very, I still, oh you know, gosh. I play, I play games. I just kind of fell off of Pokemon a little bit. Cause I didn't have, I didn't have a, I think my last game boy was like game boy advance. And then, so I didn't ha- I missed all the DS Pokemon games. I missed, so I missed a lot. Okay. I kind of got off the train. Yeah. Yeah. I, I missed the games for a little while too, but I got back on a couple of years ago, but now it's like, you know, I, sword and shield came out, I already beat it. So now it's like, well, do I get on animal crossing or do I <laughs> cave to Kirk finally and get like sea of thieves? I mean, you know, spending this much time at home, obviously you have a lot of time on your hands. So Video games is a good remedy to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I got Megan uh, Animal Crossing and she played it for like an hour and was like, okay. And I was like, 
so you like it? And she's like, uh, and she, I'm like, well, oh, Nintendo, no, lukewarm reviews. I know. And well, the, she, she's never played an animal crossing game before. I just kind of sprung it on her and was like, Hey, I think you might like this game. And she was like, Oh, oh okay. okay. So I, I took a shot. It's definitely not what you think of when you think of video games. Yes. <laughs> she's like, it's just a little, I don't know. She needs, she needs a little bit more problem solving in her game, like a more little activity for forward motion. I'm the same way, man. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah um but getting back to you know talking about the luca thing like i I agree with you and that's why i've said it's like it's really tough to frame it because his step back does open up so much and it does make him harder to guard i do wonder like if his you know if his percentages stay where they are well defenses eventually like you know you said eventually they would maybe not sit on it uh on that shot as much so yeah it's it's a balance and like you said he'll take maybe uh, one or two that you you maybe not agree with but you kind of it comes with the rest and he's still in his second year and you things need to get better eventually. And I think that kind of, maybe the last thing we can talk about is like the crunch time offense. Cause it kind of the Lucas step back and the crunch time offense kind of tie together, certainly for like mass mm-hmm. fans watching the games. And the the point you made about if he doesn't take the step back in a, in a crunch time or, or late clock situation, he drives. That's the other thing I think that's hard to consider is people maybe don't think about the fact that, yeah, he's taking a, you know, 28 footer uh, off the dribble. But if he goes in, he might be guarded, you know, triple team near the free throw line and having to take a really awkward 12 footer or like you said, a turnover or he goes to the rim and he doesn't get the foul call because the whistles tighten up a little bit in crunch time sometimes. So there's just so many different variables that it's hard to just say, like, I honestly don't blame like a one-on-one shot that's on your terms, even though it is a step back, you know, 26 footer that might be more comfortable than driving to the rim against three bodies and and maybe getting fouled and not getting the call. And and then the game's over. So it's a weird balance. And I think a lot of the crunch time stuff is just like, these guys just got to play more together. And, you know, Luca is still in his second season. And it just feels like one of those things like, they're going to figure out like, especially Luca, like from Luca from rookie season to this year, I don't know if this was his necessarily his goal, but I feel like off season, like his finishing at the rim. Like, I just wonder if last summer that was just like a thing. Like he was like, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to like relentlessly work on and be better at. And like his finishing at the rim from his rookie season to this, this season, his second season, like it's just it's remarkable like how automatic he is in the paint this season, uh, especially for a player like him that is not, not a LeBron and not a Giannis. And he's not just, you know, dunking it every time he gets near the basket, not to take anything away from those guys, but I'm just saying it's just a different way that he gets to the rim and scores. And it's just, it's pretty crazy. And I wonder if this crunch time stuff is something he's going to look at from this season. And when they get to the official off season and he's like, okay, this is my thing. I'm going to work on this. And it wouldn't shock me if in his third season, like it's just solved because he seems to be the kind of guy that that could figure those things out. Like, uh, so I don't know. I feel like that's, I feel like that's where the crunch time stuff is going to go. And maybe it makes it frustrating to watch in the moment, but it might not be something that can just be solved with one practice session or one film session or one game or something like that. It feels like something that's going to take a little bit longer just by the nature of how young some of the guys are in these positions in terms of experience. 
Yeah, I mean, Dirk wasn't surgical in the fourth quarter until he was like 26 or 27. So, right. I mean, imagine six more years of awkward-looking fourth quarters, and then Luca will be at the age that Dirk was whenever he finally figured it out. I mean, it's tough scoring late in games. Like, LeBron, we accused him of melting down until 2012, and he came in the league in 2003. I mean, imagine if imagine if it's 2027, 2028, and Luca is still <laughs> doing this stuff. I mean, it'll be we'll, – we'll, our heads will have exploded, but – you know, Luca really, from last season to this season, he improved in three areas, in my opinion. Um, his left hand, dealing with double teams, and finishing around the rim. And the good thing is all three of those things are factors within the Mavs offense for 42 minutes per game. The bad thing is really none of those things show up in, the, in crunch time. Uh, when the game slows down, when the pace is sort of sucked out of the game, and it's much more of a standstill, isolation, hero ball thing. That's hap- that happens with almost every team in the NBA, even in pace and space. Uh, you know, the fourth quarter is slow. And whenever it's one-on-one, none of those things that he worked on over the summer really matter. They, they don't come into play at all. But they do, of course, throughout the rest of the entire game. So now kind of the last component missing, well, one of them at least, from his offensive game is – scoring consistently one-on-one. And in order to do that, sure, having a good left hand helps. Sure, being able to pass helps. But really, you need two or three go-to moves and then counters off of those moves. If a guy is sitting on your drive, well, then maybe you take a hard step at him and get him off you, and then you create separation and hit a three. If they're sitting on the three, well, then you better have a pretty good dribble move to get by him because you're, that's all you're going to be able to do. You can't shoot if they're sitting on your three. Uh, the in-between game matters a whole lot more than anybody wants to give it credit for. Um, you got to be able to pull up from 18. I mean, you just have to, whether it's a floater or a runner or a standstill jump shot. I mean, guys are going to be on Lucas' hips. And we saw him against uh, – who's the guy that plays – T.J. Warren. He fouled T.J. Warren out on basically like an up fake into an 18-foot jump shot. I mean, if you can pull that out of the bag at any point, then you become way tougher guard in crunch time. And, you know – the Mavs offense is incredible, obviously, but one of the things that Luca, I think, is going to have to sort of learn is it's okay to not take every shot in the fourth quarter. He he likes shooting in crunch time for sure, and uh, you know sometimes the best play is maybe run a, a set. I mean, sometimes you just have to. So going one on one every time is just not really um, you know the best way to do things unless you really have it going. And now sometimes he does, and they've won a lot of those games, but sometimes he doesn't, and maybe the best play is to give it up or get KP involved or something. So, but, but that's what every young guy goes through, right? I mean, everybody has to learn from mistakes. And in order to learn from your mistakes first, you have to make some mistakes. And right now they've made a lot of mistakes. I mean, Lucas had some big turnovers. He's missed some big shots. He's taken some shots that he wishes he had back. I mean, you think back to that first Knicks game way at the beginning of the year, he was sitting on, I think, 38 points. And he, like, pulled up from the logo with two and a half minutes <laughs> left and, like, 21 seconds on the shot clock. And you're like, bro, what are you doing? But, you know, and he said immediately after the game, that was a bad shot. So, you know, and he, he's learned from that, and he hasn't done that since. And, you know, a lot of these other mistakes that he's made, he hasn't repeated since. But, you know, you got to go through a lot of bad stuff in order to get to the good stuff. That's the way it is with everything in the world. I mean, you know, how many times do young teams lose because they just can't get it done in the fourth quarter? I mean, you think of the – the Thunder versus the Lakers in 2010. I mean, all of those games were tight, but Kobe just outdid KD in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's just how it happens. 
you got to become that tactician late in the game, that just surgical, that merciless uh, scorer who can, who can cut everybody's throats. And, you know, neither Luco or KP is there yet. Um, really nobody else on the team is there either. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith has hit some big shots. Tim Hardaway's hit some big shots. But, you know, no one has consistently stepped up yet. And so that's kind of like the last frontier for them. Unfortunately, uh, that's a pretty big weakness to have because they have lost so many close games. And in the playoffs, obviously, almost all the games are close. So, you know, that that might be their undoing this season. It might even be their undoing next season. And it might even be the year after. But eventually they are going to get there. And I, I think, you know, I, I'm, I can't tell the future. But I think whenever they do get there, it's going to be because both Luka and KP have – many, many counters to all of kind of their go-to pet moves. And and that's really what separates the good teams from the title contending teams is can you score in any situation? Do you have a guy on your team or even better yet, two guys that can get good shots off, open shots off in any situation? And uh, it's kind of unreasonable to expect a 24 and 21-year-old to have it, but the Mavs are, they're close, right? They're They're almost there. Yep. So, you know, maybe next year we're talking about this. We're like, oh, I remember whenever they couldn't win close games. I mean, it, it, it could be something that changes next season. I, I have no idea. Yep. And the thing about it is you can't skip steps to get there. Like you have to take your lumps and you have to build that experience. And it's just not a matter of flipping a switch and just having it because you have to kind of go through that. And like you said, you have to have the mistakes to learn from them. So, yeah, it just depending on how long it takes, it, 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 we just don't really know. And, yeah, maybe it is next season. That would be very nice. Uh, maybe it's the season after that, but we'll see. But hopefully it won't be next season until me and Bobby podcast again. That was a terrific yeah. segue that only the professionals can pull off. Bobby, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. But, man, thanks for coming on. I know it was just kind of random on a whim. I just reached out to you. but. This was fun. I appreciate you taking some of your time and uh, it's good to know that you're doing okay and, and everything's going okay for you right now. Hey, thank you, Josh, for having me on. Same to you and to all the Mavs Moneyball folks and hopefully to everybody listening, uh, just stick with it. These are weird times. I know you're not looking to me for inspiration or anything, but um, <laughs> you know, hopefully we'll be back soon and hopefully everything will be all right. But just, I mean, it's on kind of all of us, right? I know hopefully everybody is aware of that now, especially that's listening to this. Uh, Everybody can do their part to make sure that this ends soon, relatively speaking, and, you know, is, is as safe and hopefully harmless as possible, but uh, it's on all of us. So just, you know, be careful, take care of everybody. Hell yeah. Agreed. Well said, buddy. Well, let's get out of here. Uh, Kirk might come on with a podcast later, although he is in, Kirk is juggling like 80 dishes at once. So we'll see when the next time we post another podcast is, but Stick around on the site. We're going to do our best. Uh, if the Mavs keep this up, we'll just keep writing about all the freaking awesome community work they're going to keep doing. Uh, so keep checking out the site. Keep checking out this podcast feed. We'll do what we can. Uh, this is Josh Bow. Bobby, thanks again. And we will talk to you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.